Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Merok, and I would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people. Today I'm going to be talking about superheroes again. On the show today we'll be discussing Batman and the Shadow and the concept of vigil- vigilantism in economics. So I would like to welcome John Swinton to the show and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, so thanks for, thanks for agreeing to come on the show and joining me. I had a lot of fun talking to Brian, so I thought it would be it would be great if I got to speak to some of the other authors. So yeah, thanks for being interested wow. and wanting to wanting to talk about your work. Well, I'm happy to join you. Awesome. Okay, so for everyone listening, I am happy to introduce the professor of economics at Georgia College and State University, director center for economic education. Here is John Swinton. He also contributed to the book Superheroes and Economics, if you listen to my recent episode with Brian O'Rourke. We're lucky to have John on the show today to talk to us a little bit about The Shadow versus Batman, contrasting approaches to producing justice. So first up, I would like to know how your contribution to this book came about. Um, well, interestingly enough, um, I, was, uh, I was referring an article and it turned out the article itself was uh, to be um, kind of a, a distillation of some of the ideas that came out in the book. And the process of refereeing is usually uh, anonymous, but um, I was asked to join the project based, based on a referee uh, report. Um, it, was, it was quite unexpected. I, I think it turned out that just my interests lined up um, with pretty much all the contributors to the book. So have you always been a bit of a fan of, of comic books or just these, these <laughs> heroes slash vigilantes in particular? Well, well, it's uh, I had uh, some of my best friends growing up were comic book uh, folks, and um, I just happened to end up going into economics. But uh, I never lost my love for um, not just the action comic books, but uh, some of the lighter ones as well. And when you reflect on these things, you find that uh, the economics is inescapable in, in all sorts of areas. Superheroes is just just one, and um, it's fun to play with the ideas because, one, you don't expect them. Uh, I mean, superheroes are supposed to take you far enough away from reality where the normal constraints we face don't seem to apply. And then you find that to make the stories compelling, you almost have to see the heroes struggle with the same things we struggle with. Yeah, definitely. I think just in sort of learning more about this world of economics and the books that um, Brian is is currently working on and has worked on in the past, I don't think it would work if there was no economics in it because it just would be not possible at all. Like it's it's right. you can suspend your disbelief if someone is flying or you know using magic yeah. or something like that. But when it comes to everyday decisions, if they were being completely irrational and we couldn't understand them, then they probably wouldn't be that right. successful. I, I mean, one of the things in on on today of all days, we're talking about this with the the passing of Stan Lee. I know. Um, yeah, he he made his characters uh, face the realities we all face 
directly. I mean, Peter Parker had to hold down a job. And so, you know, as he's making his own original Spider-Man suit, he's having to worry about where he's actually going to get the material. And those sorts of realities that, that make superheroes uh, relatable. Um, in the chapter I worked with, uh, the, the old Shadow show, um, the character of the Shadow uh, had to work with other people. Um, he didn't have superhuman speed or strength or anything. So his skill was having other people work with him. And then, of course, Batman is famous for having all of the all of the gear, all the contraptions, the bat belt and the bat this and that. Um, so that made for a very nice contrast of how superheroes work with what they have to work with. Yeah, so what sort of, um, if, you, if you're able to sort of expand, so you mentioned the Shadow didn't have any of the the tools or the power and certainly didn't have the what seems like endless money that Batman does. What do you see as the main difference between those two characters who are, you know, more, more or less working in the same way? They're both going outside of the law but taking matters into their own hands to deliver justice to their society. What do you think makes these characters different and also the same from an economic perspective? Well, the emphasis of the, the chapter I wrote, um, it, to bring it into the kind of the dry world of economics, um, we often talk to students about how people, when they produce things, they make choices as to how to combine two very simple but generic ideas of labor and capital. And so... Uh, Sometimes students get it right away. They say, yes, you need uh, labor, you need workers, and you need machines. Uh, but to understand that under two different circumstances, that mix might be completely different. Um, that's why I'm contrasting and comparing uh, Batman and the Shadow, is Batman is known to have access, as you say, to the riches, to the, the waning fortune which allows him to, to not just invent. The, the early Batman was an inventor as well as uh, being wealthy, but it, he, he has access to the things that will give him what I refer to in the chapter as just capital. Um, the uh, Shadow, or Lamont Cranston, um, has wealth, but not extraordinary wealth. But what he has is a lot of people he's helped in the past who owe him favors. Now, Batman is also known for not getting along well with others. The, he's the, the Dark Knight. Uh, he is not known for, even among his uh, Justice League compatriots, he just does not get along with other people very well. So for him, it's very difficult to work with other people to, get to, uh, to fight crime. The opposite is true for the Shadow. Now, there are practical issues, too. The Shadow uh, was made famous by radio broadcasts, and it's, it's fairly difficult to highlight fantastic machines on the radio, whereas, uh, of course, Batman was more a visual character early on. So drawing fantastic equipment was much more appealing. Um, so what, what do you think then? Okay, I, I'm pretty drawn in by the idea of looking at 
these two heroes and their use of labor versus capital and they can only do a certain amount with the labor and capital they have could you ever envisage a scenario where they perhaps collaborated in some sort of trade agreement that would allow them to consume more justice is that something you've ever thought about well, in fact, uh, authors have thought about that. They do uh, a, a couple occasions, and I'm I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on the the entire catalog. Uh, but in um, doing some of the research for this, as I figured I'd you'd just uh, you know, look into some things, make sure I don't make any egregious errors, because um, particularly Batman fans tend to be fanatic about getting things right. There are a couple occasions where they have been brought together. And usually in those occasions, the emphasis has been on their basic, uh, the premise that they're, they're fighting for justice. But you do make an interesting point, because that is the notion that usually of highlighting these differences, is then there are opportunities for trade. Now, I imagine the only thing that would have, would have impeded it is uh, Batman's inability to work with other people. But uh, in some of the, the times they've come together, uh, Bruce Wayne has and Batman has looked to the shadow as his predecessor and admired him only to find he was still around. So there's, there's kind of an homage theme in, in those meetings rather than a trade theme. But yeah, you've struck on the, the reason we as economists look at these differences is they do, they do give rise to opportunities uh, to trade. And in this case, you know, if, if the shadow could lend his, um, his agents to Batman, um, Batman would be much more effective. And uh, you do see from time to time uh, where different authors of Batman have tried to give him minion people who go out and gather information for him. And that really is taking from the old shadow, uh, both the pulp shadow stories and the radio programs. So, um, yeah, you, you've struck on why it's an interesting uh, topic. Yeah, I'd never even I'd never even really thought of that, but it could be pretty cool to see what that um what that curve might look like, <laughs> how much more they could <laughs> consume. If someone out there wants to collect the data, please do. <laughs> That's the hardest part about doing fantasy universes, I think, is there's no data. Well, well, yeah, and you could go anywhere you want. Uh, There is, um, and I don't know how quickly I could find it, but uh, a couple people have tried to estimate, given what they have to work with, uh, Bruce Wayne's actual wealth. Um, And those are fun to read because they're extrapolating from the different toys they they see or the different... uh, uh, and they try to say, well, it would take this to construct that, and therefore he must have this. And I've never seen anybody try to do that for the shadow. Uh, but uh, certainly uh, <laughs> people have tried to do that with, uh, with Bruce Wayne and, and Batman, and it's, um, it is an interesting exercise. Yeah, well, I guess it's just such a big part of his character as well is that he doesn't have powers per se but has the power of money because he's a billionaire and we're obsessed with billionaires so it, it well, makes and, sense and, that people would uh, want to know yeah, how I much it's actually it, worth it is one of the reasons why comparing the two is 
is compelling in that neither of them uh, really has a superpower. They're both, uh, they both start off as ordinary individuals, and those ordinary individuals are driven by different things. We know more about um, Batman's origins. Uh, we don't actually know that much about the Shadow's origins. Um, we believe he might have been a, uh, uh, a fighter pilot in World War I. You know, maybe he has a fortune in gold from South America or something. But we, we just know they both start as ordinary individuals who are just driven by this notion of justice. Um, but they both approach it in different ways based on what they have to work with. Do you, do you have a character preference? Do you like the shadow of Batman better as a <laughs> well, superhero I, I, and as an economist? <laughs> I, I run the risk of dating myself a little bit, but as a, as a child, uh, reruns of the shadow uh, radio broadcast uh, were, um, I, I would catch them on the air, not a lot of them. They were usually being redone as some nostalgia kick or something, but um I, I remember the the Shadow and the Lone Ranger and the radio broadcast. So I was introduced to that character before I was really introduced to Batman. My introduction to Batman was the campy uh, 1960s, 1970s um, action show, which I thoroughly enjoyed but never took too seriously. Um, I didn't really come back to Batman until the Alan Moore treatment, uh, the Dark Knight series which I think um, for a lot of people, for a lot of people was their introduction to, to Batman. The Shadow has, does not have such a steady run anymore. So to, to find the Shadow in print is kind of a little bit difficult. There was in the 1980s a, a really nice run, um, and I forget who was in charge of that. But my preference goes back to my first exposure, and that would be the Shadow. For all those Batman fans out there, no offense, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you you go with who you start with on that one. But they are comparable, and there, there's uh, you can see a lot of the shadow in the development of of Batman, particularly the more serious development of Batman. Most people think of the shadow as being more violent. He would often, uh, rather than simply capture. The, uh, the villain, he would do them in. It would be you know, uh, a hail of gunfire, and that would be it. And the early Batman uh, was perfectly fine with a pair of guns as well. It wasn't until a little bit later in Batman's history that he gave up the killing of villains, um, and that's ever since has been kind of the line that uh, Batman drew was he won't he won't kill. Does that? Do you think that has anything to do with um, the the timing of the, these comics and these characters being released? Obviously, Batman is definitely a bigger part of pop culture. I'm not super familiar with the Shadow. I've only heard my partner talk about him in the context of Batman <laughs> and how he likes the Shadow better. So yeah, I wonder if if it was to do with like culture at the time, maybe people weren't into. A killer yeah, well, hero. Yeah, if if you want to, um, I mean, if you want to kind of trace culture, 
the Batman's a great example of going through to see how he changes because of course once once you go from detective comics into Batman having his own series uh, at different eras they try to make him a different type of hero I mean Robin is introduced to make him kind of a fatherly figure and for some people that was just horrible but for other people Robin became part of it it was Batman and Robin and it and you can see the ebb and flow of you know, fitting Batman into culture as you go. The Shadow, it, it's a little harder to bend him to different eras because you know, if you think of the notion of a shadow, you, you can't kind of get a hold of it. It is a shadow. <laughs> and um, the only thing they could do with him was uh, you know, his, his love interest. Would that be an actual love interest or was this just, uh, just him using another person as one of his his agents. Um, so I think the Batman's easier to follow through culture because the shadow was always uh, kind of a hard justice vigilante. He comes back in popularity when that is a theme. When we're back to kind of darker justice, you know, I, I mentioned. Uh, Batman the Dark Knight when that becomes that vision of Batman becomes popular again you do see the shadow coming back and you see a, a short runs of, uh, of the shadow as a comic book again um, and then when we're not asking that of our superheroes then the shadow kind of disappears for a while so yeah I, I mean all popular culture has to have that tie into whatever's popular um Sometimes it's worked for Batman. Sometimes it it doesn't, and that's true for lots of superheroes. I don't. I think um, you know the 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 whole run. And again, getting back to what uh, Stan Lee did for comic books, the the popularity of the X Men was they weren't just about having superpowers. It was how you deal with superpowers. And at different times, different characters were popular because they reflected things that people were dealing with. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely makes for a much more interesting story when they have inner conflicts that they're battling with. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I'm not. Um, I, my days of collecting comic books are long behind me. Um, I will, on occasion, pick up a few now, just if uh, if some of my old uh, high school friends will say, "Hey, you should look at this series. I think you'll like it." I'm just as apt to, if somebody says something was well done, I'll go wait till it ends up in uh, in the local library in a in kind of an anthology, and I'll go back read it then. But it's yeah, it's the notion that, and this is not just from an economic standpoint, but you can see a lot about society as to how we depict ourselves in fantasy, and um, I. As an economist, we're always looking for how people conceive of different economic ideas and uh, when we can bring them out and demonstrate them in something as accessible as a comic book, it just makes our, our job teaching the economic ideas that much easier. So yeah. do you do you incorporate this into the classroom? I This and, and um, all sorts of different things. This is just one example, but... Um, we're always looking for a little edge. What what can we use in the classroom that's going to bring a point home? 
And if you can show that even Bruce Wayne faces trade-offs, you know, that, that with all the wealth that he must have, still there are things he can't do or he has to give up to do the things he chooses to do. And, and that somebody else may try to do the same thing but just have to do it in a different way. Uh, and that's, that's the basic idea behind economics is that we face trade-offs. And yeah. you know, even, even if they have Bruce Wayne's wealth, there's still choices you're going to have to make. Yeah, yeah, good point. Do you look at the differences in terms of having labor or capital with any villains in this chapter, or do you just mostly stick to Batman and the Shadow? Well, uh, I, I was given kind of a page limit. So um, uh, there wasn't much attention given to the various villains, and there are only a, the Shadow is not blessed with a lot. There are a couple of villains that recur in the Shadow. Um, but you could contrast the different, I mean, villains are, are given usually one basic weapon. And, and you're, you know, whether it's, you, um, I mean, the Joker is just nuts. So you don't know what he's going to do. But you have, like, Mr. Freeze. or uh, You've got different personas that if you really wanted to bring this out, um, you could say, what if the villains started to trade? What if the villains kind of pooled their resources and actually use their different skills in, in concert. I, again, uh, going back to my childhood, um, there was a cartoon, the early Justice League, um, which was made for the 1970 Saturday morning fair. Um, there the villains were just all trying to be bad. They weren't trying to do anything, really coordinate anything. Whereas the the heroes would work together. It's like, okay, Wonder Woman, you've got the plane and the lasso, you go do this, and Superman, you do this, and you would see a little bit of attempt of them to work, you know, with their strengths. And all the villains would do is just just try to be bad. It was it was it, it made one wonder. So what if they got organized? What would it, what kind of battle would this really be? Yeah. They're just kind of evil for the sake of being evil, which is yeah, kind of kind work. of a rip off. You want the you want the villains to have some depth and motivations as well. They're not just they're not just bad for no reason. Well, and that's what you're seeing now with the the remakes. I think uh, uh, folks like Netflix and whatnot are taking more of the let's let's make the villains more whole. And, and what you start to see when you do that, the, the more you get down into let's make this more realistic, let's you know, motivate the evil or motivate the – you start to realize that may, maybe this uh, hero-villain dichotomy is not so clear. And I think that's what we've been leading up to for the last uh, maybe two, three decades of the evolution of the genre. Um, you know, as the medium got more fancy with the um, – uh, graphic novels instead of the pulp, uh, comic books, you know, putting more effort into story. People are, writers are getting famous for being better writers. Uh, so, um, yeah, you're getting better villains. And I, I think uh, Batman has benefited from that um, as Batman continues to evolve. Uh, Shadow, not so much. Not, not the similar effort into Shadow's villains. 
who knows maybe this will generate so much interest that they just have to <laughs> have to bring the shadow back <laughs> that would be uh, awesome there i mean there's a possibility there's, there's lots to work with it's just the attempts in the past uh, have been um not very good and there's always rumors that there's going to be another another try at a shadow movie but again cinematically if your main character's primary thing is you can't really see them um what do you do with that it's really hard to to have a movie revolve around that i mean podcast might be his where he needs to be yeah kind of like i guess because it was first (laughs) released as a radio show so going back now to this idea around labor and capital and how they both kind of lean on one more than the other, did you sort of mm-hmm. find that or do you find that they're both able to produce the same amount of justice, I guess? However you measure justice, I don't know. Are they both able to be effective given their limitations? Well, in, in the chapter, I provide a, a hypothetical production curve that shows that they can achieve the same amount of justice with, with different inputs. Um, now, I, I think for copyright purposes, in my draft, I had a very nice picture of uh, Batman and the, the shadow that um, perhaps we were prohibited from putting the little pictures in. But the graph exists. The graph survived. And it's it's as we might present this in, say, an introductory microeconomics course, showing that if you face different prices for your input, that you can achieve the same level of output using uh, different combinations. Um, I, I think the analogy would be, and for your listeners who have no idea where I'm talking from, um, I, I'm here in... Uh, the state of Georgia, where one of the things we are known for, have been known for, is carpet production, uh, something pretty boring. But if you go into a, a, a carpet-producing factory in the United States, you're going to see a lot of very fancy machines and relatively few workers. Those workers who are there are relatively well-paid by global standards. Now, if you go if you go to um, Afghanistan and go to where beautiful rugs are produced, you'll see relatively little capital and lots of workers. Why? Well, capital is pretty scarce in Afghanistan, but workers are relatively plentiful. The product is, as I say, a beautiful rug. It's just produced in a different way. And that's what I'm demonstrating just with Batman making choices where he has access to lots of capital, but friends are pretty expensive. And the Shadow has lots of uh, agents because they all owe him for him saving them in past episodes. But the capital he has is really limited by the the radio. Um, I don't want to say he doesn't have any capital, but uh, it's much harder to come by. So... What they both end up doing, in, at least in my little picture, uh, the same amount of justice. I think that's a pretty interesting analogy. So do you did you want to talk about any of the other heroes or chapters or just like anything well, else that I, you're particularly I, interested in? I, <laughs> I, I, 
I don't think I should steal any of the other authors' um, thunder. Yeah, um, fair. I, I think if nice you can, in, in future episodes, if, if you can get a few of my co-authors on, I think they all have good stories to tell. And it's, it's certainly worth picking up the book if you're interested in this sort of thing. And you know, if, if, say, you were uh, one of the things that those of us who are also uh, direct centers for economic education, we're very interested in getting material in the hands of, say, high school teachers. In some of the states, in, in Georgia, where I'm from, uh, students in high school have to take an economics course, and often their teachers don't have material or because there really aren't a lot of high school curriculum out there. Um, so the more material we can present to them that they know will be uh, useful in a high school class or even a younger class, you know, if you can bring in the superheroes, uh, it just makes their, their life easier. And there are lots of lessons in the book, or things that could be used as lessons to teach very basic economic ideas. Um, and that was, the, that was the premise of the project, was uh, thinking through the lens of superheroes. What are, what are some of the basic economic realities that they face? Now, you've, all, you've anticipated a number of them. Time is always scarce. Uh, no matter what talents you have, there, there are always situations where those talents won't be appropriate or something we call diminishing marginal returns. Uh, how much stronger can you be than Superman? You know, at what point is Superman just strength alone doesn't doesn't do the job. So there, there are lots of topics, lots of places where uh, we can gain insight by using different um, different approaches. And superheroes is just it's a it's a rich area to mine. Yeah, just pick a hero and write about it, see where <laughs> it goes. Yeah, it's the beauty I, of economics. It's everywhere. Yeah, and, and what happens sometimes, um, one of my favorite was a weird one I grew up, I, I really enjoyed the Swamp Thing. And the problem with the Swamp Thing as a, as a comic book was, and you know, for people who aren't familiar with it, again, Alan Moore took it over for a while as the writer, and as a character, this, this living piece of the swamp became to realize it was essentially a god. And as it realized, as he realized he had more powers, the limits that he faced were fewer and fewer. And as that became part of the story, the fewer limits, the less interesting, the, the harder it was to tell compelling stories because what's left to tell about a character that no longer faces any of the constraints that we face. You saw the same thing with Dr. Manhattan in um, The Watchmen. And when, when he finally realizes he faces no constraints, he just leaves. Um, it's no longer part of the story. And so that's, that is kind of in itself an interesting constraint that writers of fantasy face. If they don't make the constraints realistic enough, we lose interest in the character. Yeah, definitely. And just given that everything is so relevant, like economic principles are just so relevant to to everyday life, it's probably not hard for them to to do that. Right, awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, sorry about the confusion this morning. 
Oh, that's okay, Tony. It's been a pleasure, and um, (laughs) it just did not occur to me that uh, perhaps uh, you were in a much different time zone than Um, So I'm glad we could connect, and and I hope this helps you out with your podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed myself. Okay, thank you. You are welcome. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was John Swinton talking about Batman and the Shadow. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed hearing about some fun ways that we can talk about economics and some interesting areas that it can be applied to rather than just what can sometimes be a dry subject matter. You can follow the show on Twitter at Every Economics or send me an email, economicspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to have you on if you have a great project or idea. Set the show to auto-download and rate and review on iTunes. It's the easiest way for you to support the show and support the network. Thanks again for listening. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch, and this has been Everything Economics. Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week, I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favorite comedians talking about their favorite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.